Hello everybody and welcome to Afro Leads, the podcast. Afro Leads consists of two sisters, myself Steph and my sister Julie, and we are on a mission to promote black British business and culture. At present, we have an Instagram platform where we post positive posts about black business, groups, communities, celebrities, music and so much more. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by co-founder of By Aaron Wallace, Lena Barker. The brand was originally launched in 2016 from the Sheer and Shine Barbershop in South London, resolving the issue faced by most black men when it came to having access to good quality products that would solve their hair and skin problems. Following focus groups and conversations with various black men, Lena and her business partner, Aaron Wallace, were able to gain a more complex understanding of what black men actually need. Two years followed of learning and working alongside formulation experts and manufacturers to develop and test products that would actually work to improve Afro hair and skin without the use of any toxic ingredients. The rest, as they say, is history. By Aaron Wallace is a multi-award winning brand that caters for black men. We love to see it. We can't wait to hear more about the business and of course, to learn from one of the entrepreneurs behind it. Welcome, Lena. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. It really is a pleasure. Amazing. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. And we've been really excited, obviously, to get to know the entrepreneurial side of you, as well as, you know, your background, etc. So we're going to dive straight in. And what we normally do, or how we normally start um, our podcast, is to try and find a little bit about your upbringing and, I don't know, the foundations to who you are. So if you don't mind, just grazing, what's your heritage? So both my mum and my dad are Tanzanian, born and bred. And I was born in London, but I grew up in Holland. So I have a Dutch passport and I speak three languages. So depending on what day it is and what group I'm speaking to, I will identify as a different nationality because all three of those cultures are a part of, of who I am and how I identify. But more often than not, you'll find me saying that I'm Tanzanian. Amazing. And what three languages can you speak? Uh, so English <laughs> um, and uh, Swahili from uh, from Tanzania. So I speak Swahili and I speak Dutch, um, which oh, is from, from Holland as well. Gosh, oh, awesome. That's insane. Thank That's you. so good. And did you, so I suppose when you're in Holland, again, correct me if I'm wrong, are most people bilingual there, English, Dutch? Is that the schooling? Yeah, I mean, when you grow up in Holland, you've got your primary language, which is Dutch. But I think Holland in general tends to be very accepting and very encouraging of the English language so a lot of our TV shows that are from England or from America are not dubbed they're subtitled so you're actually exposed to the language on an ongoing basis even cartoons and children shows there are some that are dubbed but some of them are still subtitled so as a child I grew up exposed to the English language through the TV shows and the music. And then also you're taught English in uh, primary school, but also my mum spoke English to us in the house. But as a country, yes, they speak very good English actually. And they love speaking English. Amazing. Gosh, it puts us to shame, doesn't it? And the Swahili, did you speak that at home too? Yeah. Yeah. So my mum made a decision for me. This is the story I've been told. Look, I can't remember any of this, (laughs) but the story I've been told is that my mum gave me and my sister Swahili as our first language, even though we were living in Holland. She basically just said to herself, they will learn Dutch once they go to school. And when you're young, you're like a sponge. You pick up language so easily. So she didn't feel need to teach us Dutch in the home. So we actually went to our first school, like preschool, whatever, speaking only Swahili. 
um, and then we picked up Dutch being in school. So yeah, Swahili is something my mum gave us and it's some, it's a language we spoke in the household. It's such a gift, isn't it? Because yeah. am I right in thinking that Swahili is, like the African Union are kind of moving to try and make that the like, like lingua franca, if you like, of, of the African Union. So it's spoken in a lot of different countries. Yeah, I don't know about that. I would love for that to be the case. I wouldn't be surprised because Swahili itself is, if I'm not mistaken, rooted in Bantu and Arabic and English. It takes, it draws from a lot of different languages, which is why when you hear someone speak Swahili and really pay attention, you'll probably be able to understand or pick up certain words. I think there's a lot of Arabic influence. There's a lot of Bantu. There are some French words in there. There are some English words in there. So I wouldn't be surprised if that would be the conversation that's being had. Mm. I know that Swahili is the national language of Tanzania. Um, it's spoken in Kenya. Kenya, yeah. It's spoken in Uganda. It's spoken in quite a lot of East African countries. Mm. I think the Congo as well. Wowza. Yeah, it was a really well. Brilliant. And I think it was such a really great that your mum was so intentional about making sure that you knew how to speak your mother tongue. How old were you when you moved to Holland? My mum was already living in Holland with my dad when they got married sort of before she was even pregnant with me. I'm the oldest. When she got pregnant with me, I think closer to her due date, she wanted to be around her sisters who were living oh, in London gosh. at the time. So I think that's where the decision came to come to the UK and be surrounded by her sisters to have a first child. And then she had her second child here as well. I think so. Because I actually never asked, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then very shortly thereafter, I think as soon as she could travel with a newborn, she we went back to Holland. Oh, okay. So yeah, you like literally that's where you that's grew up. That's all I know. Yes, yes, exactly. That's wonderful. I think that's so exciting. And because I've I've only been to I think Holland a couple of times and it's always seems to be such a vibrant and multicultural place. Yeah. What was life like for you growing up? I grew up in a town called Leiden, which is about under an hour from Amsterdam so it's not it's not very far from Amsterdam but it's predominantly white so I think you could count on one hand how many black people you'd you'd bump into walking on the street you know what I loved growing up in Holland I enjoyed my childhood so much so that I I had a real issue being here in the UK when we moved here like I didn't integrate as well as my sister did I struggled with that transition because I was Dutch I wanted to be back in Holland thinking back I recognize with hindsight and sort of with an adult view that there were moments of like racial biases that I Mm. came across although at the time if you'd asked me I probably would have been completely blind to it but thinking back there are key moments where I'm like oh my god that's messed up but overall I had a great childhood I enjoyed my life living in Holland yeah brilliant and do you mind me asking what your parents did or still do Uh, my mum passed away in 2014 um no, that's okay. I, I've uh, I've learned to live with it, um, if that makes sense. But uh, yeah, so she was prior to that. She she had her own business in Tanzanian telecommunications. Um, so she was running her own business at the time. But she's also well, she's always been in tech. In tech, if that makes sense. So she, I think she did a degree in IT systems management or something along those lines. So very tech heavy woman. And yeah, so she built her own business when she went back to Tanzania. My father I don't really have contact with either but in the past when we have crossed our paths together and I've sort of seen him and stuff I know that he's always been a bit of a jack of all trade um sort of a business here and a business there always starting some sort of business 
here and there, if that makes sense. So maybe that's where I get that part of me from. Oh, thank you. I'm so sorry that you've lost your your mum. And she sounds incredibly, like such a, already I'm getting the impression that she's a massive part of your life, a massive kind yes. of part of making you who you are and such an inspiration to have um, an entrepreneur as a, as a parent, you know, or as both parents. Yeah, so Thank I'm sure we'll a bit more about that. Um, and is your, your sister younger than you? Yeah. My sister is younger than me. Yeah. Um, not like a massive amount. I think she's 18 months, is it? If my mass is right. It's not, it's probably not. She's younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded really painful for you to say. She's, She's younger than me. <laughs> but not by much though. It's like, you know, we're, yeah. I think we might as well have been twins age-wise. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, yeah, she's she's maybe a year or so younger than me. Yeah. So in terms of the, obviously your background, we know that you've come and had influence, shall I say, from both sides of, of like entrepreneurship and seeing hard work and graft, you know, support a family, etc. How did you start down the path of entrepreneurship? How did all of that come about? I think I've always had this like passion to just do something. I just, I didn't always know what it was. So when I was in school, in secondary school here, at the age of like, I think we were like 15, going into GCSE or just started GCSEs. And I had learned how to do hair and my sister had learned how to do hair. My cousin had learned how to do hair. So uh, I brought us all together and I said, look, all three of us know how to do hair. You, I've got year 10 and 11, you've got year nine and, and year eight. <laughs> And you've got another school, that a whole new demographic of people that we could target. Let's create a flyer, one brand name. Here are our prices. Here's our mobile phone number. Hand them out everywhere. Hand them out everywhere and get some customers in. I love that. Um, so we, we got some customers in and we started to get really busy after school, having to travel around and sort of doing people's hair for, for very cheap, very, very cheap. Almost, it just wasn't an economical business <laughs> at all. But it taught me a lot of the things that I have now instilled in me sort of, but that was like my first taste of the business world and the entrepreneurial world. And I kind of knew that this is the kind of the path that I wanted to walk. And that's what eventually led to me starting a second business after uni, which was a, a networking hub for young entrepreneurs. And then from there, I met Aaron and that kind of snowballed into where we are today. But in terms of what was that moment that set me on the path of, of being an entrepreneur one day, it was that time when I started the hairdressing business in school. And I was like, oh my God, I'm loving all of this. Yeah, wow, I love, I love it. I really love that. It's, and, and obviously, I think there's, you know, it takes a lot to spot a gap in the market, know your clientele, you know, find your team, which luckily you've got skilled people within your, you know, immediate family. And I think that's brilliant. I think that's wicked. Yeah. For somebody so young as well, that's amazing. And I love that it was a flyer. Yeah, I <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, it, obviously, now thinking back with hindsight and more knowledge, I can dissect the things I was doing as team building, as resource pooling, yeah. as marketing. As, but at the time, that's not what I understood myself to be doing. I was just doing it. Yeah, um, it's now with hindsight that I get to say, oh, wait a minute, that bit was marketing, that bit was uh, pulling your resources, that bit was business planning, that bit was this, and so I was just doing these things innately at the time and and but but I loved what it I, I loved what it awoken inside me like I kind of mm -hmm. had this passion that I wanted to chase and that was starting my own business eventually so um what did you do go on to study so you, you after uni you started your networking 
business. What did you study and where did you go? I went to the University of Bedfordshire. That was, that's a story. I think a lot of my life is just moments of flukes, if I'm totally honest. Like it's moments of, I don't know if it's luck or dumb luck. I don't know what you want to call it. But yes, I landed at the University of Bedfordshire and I did film studies because I was doing media studies from college. And then I went on to do film studies and I met somebody at the time who was filming an advert. And I I felt like that sounded more interesting than whatever assignment I was put on for my film studies course. So I asked them what they were doing. They said they were doing advertising and marketing communication. So I quickly went back to my professor and said, I want to switch courses. So I ended up doing advertising and marketing communication as my degree. And that's that's what I graduated in. Amazing. Do you know what? I I think to some extent, my mindset and my vocab has been really similar to you before where I've classed things as look or opportunist but I genuinely as I've got older I think you know things happen for a reason and if you're if you're in an environment whereby somebody sparks an interest you didn't have to go and see somebody and change that course you could have muddled through your film degree and you know succeeded elsewhere but you didn't you know you took action and you thought actually my skill set aligns to this and look where you are with it now so yeah I, I always try and make that point across yes look does come into it in some cases but I think integrity and, you know, knowing yourself and finding your purpose, that, those are all things that have gotten to where you are today, for sure. Absolutely. I think what I've also learned is opportunity knocks on our door every day, but because we don't recognise it to be the opportunity that we want it to be, we dismiss it. Mm. And actually, if you start to pay attention to the little things that are happening around that phone call, that text message, that email, that's checking your spam folder that those little things that we completely dismiss every day because we're looking for opportunity to actually be dressed as an opportunity with mm-hmm. a massive sign that says hey I'm opportunity knocking on your door and yeah. that's not how it comes knocking on your door yeah. sometimes it comes knocking on your door looking raggedy and whatever and you need to just let it in and have a chat and actually when you're having a chat you're like oh my god this was opportunity all along so yeah. I think when you look back and you start to dissect every moment in life they're actually constantly opportunities knocking on our doors we just don't recognize them as that yeah amen I love that and I think especially lockdown because there's no distraction I think there's so many things that I you know not took a gamble on but I looked into like you say I didn't have any other you know nothing to pull me from pillar to post no money to waste etc and it turned out to be amazing opportunities you know so yeah. like you said, when you take away the, the distraction it lots of stuff there that can really enhance and sort of you know benefit you as a business person or you know your personal life absolutely absolutely so is it all right to ask a bit more about by Aaron Wallace how you said you met after uni your business partner so how did you meet and was it like an organic process that led you to work because you said you've done an awful amount of work and development before we see what we see yeah and they're amazing but we've you know I've gifted them to my brother they're um, so good I just like the quality the packaging yeah I'm big on because you know just before we carry on we we always say we will promote any black business because we are all for the community however that when we get something delivered to us and it's you could actually deliver it as a present to somebody else that happens to we have to repack it and all that that for us is like the crap. And we, when we got our by our models, we were like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's just a luxury for us. It's a luxury, yeah, that's like the, word. the king, it's luxury. The kings in your life deserve that. And it's yeah. just, you know, from, from that start onwards. But yeah, I just wondered how did you and Aaron meet and start to kind of collaborate? 
Sure. So it was through mutual friends, actually. I came out of uni. This is if you if I was ever to to write a book, you'd start to see because things happen and then things happen. So I came out of uni and I started a business called Lena Gaddy Events. Gaddy's my maiden name. And I wanted to go into corporate event planning because I love planning events. Simultaneous to that, networking is something I do quite naturally. So I had this corporate events company and I was knocking on doors and I was getting nowhere. Nobody wanted to hire a 21 year old to do their corporate events. I just wasn't taken serious. And so I came up with this idea of starting an online community of young entrepreneurs who are fresh out of uni, who've got this business idea, and we could pool our resources. It's got a web developer. I need a website. I can be your first customer and I can be your first testimonial, vice versa. If you've got a product launch, I can be the person to do your event. So that's how we as young entrepreneurs can start to build each other up as our first customers, our first testimonials, our first referrals, but also, hey, I've just been to the seminar, why don't you check it out too? So just this one hub for young entrepreneurs, that was the idea. And that ended up taking off a lot more than my events company. So I kind of quickly put my events company to the side and I focused on this young entrepreneurs hub. And that's how I got introduced to Arana, who then get, got involved with the young entrepreneurs hub and actually ended up coming on board as a co-founder at the time and so we were running this event together my sister was also part of the team and we did events at the house of parliament we were invited by Diane Abbott twice to do events one with us as the host and one with her as the host and me as a speaker so it was doing really wow. well yeah and and so that's how me and Aaron met and we were already working together but then my mum passed away and I kind of had this like mental it's not a breakdown but I just I, I think everything stops in that moment everything becomes insignificant nothing is more important than your grief so I stopped like I literally stopped dead in my tracks I, I didn't like officially close the business down I just stopped like I'm it's like I just stopped and I left and I went back to Holland and um, it's about a year later now I'd been settled in Holland I had a job there as well as a recruitment consultant which helped keep my sanity by the way having a job mm-hmm. and um, Aaron was like you know Lena I think you should come back to the UK because I've got this really great idea to do products and I really want you on board to do this with me just hear me out sort of thing and so that's how I then got involved with what you now see as Aaron Wallace. So we got together, he, she told me the idea that he had, we mapped it out, we built a business plan and we sort of started this journey from then on together. But he pulled me in because we'd worked together before and he knows that I've got experience and expertise in marketing. And so, yeah, that's how we did that. Oh, that's incredible. And actually, I see what you say, like there's different threads and there's a reason why you've kind of met and collaborated with the Young Entrepreneur Network. And yeah, and I guess you've got that trust and that foundation in in each other to then propel that forward. I also think like when you are working in a close, small team, personalities are so important. So Jay and I, we're obviously sisters. We've got really different strengths and that often yeah. complements you know, the sort of the projects that we work on. We also have like codes where like when we've annoyed each other, we know to kind of how to diffuse it. <laughs> I'm just laughing because the, the, there's more and more codes and it's so funny when you see it or hear it. Because um, I just laugh rather than get annoyed with you, I just laugh now. I'm like, okay, I need to back up. But that's gross. That we've that's grown. Gross. So there's something that happened, I think. This happened even two years yeah, ago. We would have been, we, uh, that would have been like a, a wall of silence, yeah. but now it's just like, hey, move on, we move on, we move, move on. Yeah. But, but obviously, back to you and Aaron, like you've obviously 
worked in a obviously with the the network the young entrepreneur network which is amazing there probably were times of frustration times where periods were very you know maybe deadlines were deadlines were quite tight and you have to react quite quickly but the fact that he worked well with each other the fact that when he's found a product that he's really passionate about he brings you in just shows that how well two personalities have worked well in the past I think that's that's remarkable that's not that's something not to kind of gloss over I think yeah. my journey with Julie's made me realize that two people working together can be intense so when it works well you know you really need to shine a light on that really focus on that absolutely. yeah absolutely and I think you know I've also learned that it's important to have complementary skills which we have it's important to not always agree because it means that there's checks and balances within the business because I think if you're always in agreement then the idea is not being challenged enough mm, um, yeah and, and I think sometimes it's necessary for there to be a little bit of challenging of the ideas and presenting a case for why an idea should take place where you're really, the more you're presenting the case, the more you're either, the more you're backing your own idea or the more you're actually realizing that maybe it wasn't that good of an idea to begin with, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah no, I absolutely agree. I think we work really well together. We've got complementary skills. There are areas where he's really strong and that I'm weaker at, and there's areas that I'm really strong in that he's weaker mm-hmm. at. And I think that's really helpful when you're in a small team. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume that the project is for black men. I assume the environment and the market and the sector is male dominated. Is that right? And how is it working in that environment? Um, so the sector itself, if you look at the other products that are on the market, it's male dominated, but it doesn't affect my day to day because my team is mixed. It's 50% women, 50% men. So uh, in terms of my team itself, we're very evenly balanced, literally evenly balanced. And my immediate co-worker who's working in our marketing team is a young girl. So there's two girls in the marketing team. And then you've got Aaron and our supply chain, who are two men working in supply chain on the other side. So in terms of feeling like I'm in a male-dominated market, I don't feel it as part of my day-to-day routine. But our customers are mostly men. So I interact a lot with the men in, in terms of uh, from that perspective, if that makes sense yeah no that's great so I initially imagined it was you Aaron and a load of blokes <laughs> but I like that you've got you, uh, probably you've got the best person to do the job whether that was male or female to do the marketing you've got the best person but I like that it's balanced I like the fact that you don't have to be a man to succeed in that industry or to, you know no and I think you know I am a huge believer in diversity inclusion and most importantly equity living in an equitable environment and for me that means being judged on my merit not because I'm black not because I'm female not for any other reason but I'm good at my job that's all I want to ever be judged for and that's all I ever want to be known and I take that into our interview processes as well I I interview you and I want to know you're good at the job that we want you to do that's it Mm, that's all that should matter I wish every place was like that. It's a sidebar, but yeah, there's a lot that I could go into in, in certain terms of that comment because it's, yeah, it's, it's it's hope and a prayer, isn't it? That but yeah. that's you know, it's it's be the change you want to yeah. see, right? So I can only start by my our hiring practices and looking mm-hmm. internally on what we can do to make a more equitable environment. I want somebody to feel like they earned the job when they come and work with us, and equally, I want to feel like we've earned our position when we get access to certain opportunities. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, strong. Sounds like a really great work culture. Mm. I just wonder so you're quite established 2016 so you've been going for 
for quite a number of years. Did lockdown affect you at all? Or like, was it in, in a positive way or a negative way? I think lockdown did affect us. Definitely first negative, then positive. You know, that first moment when it was announced, I think there was so much fear and uncertainty in the air. And that was felt personally, but also professionally. I mean... I think for the next week or so, our website dropped dramatically in sales. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's echoed by other businesses. Everybody was trying to figure out what was going on. People yeah. were, you know, taking stock of their financial situation and nobody was spending frivolously mm-hmm. in that sort of two-week period, sort of first, first two, two weeks, week of lockdown. But then that quickly very much pivoted for us. I think boredom set in and more and more people started to, look more into ways to, to take better care of themselves and it started off with what what vitamins should I have and what kind of diet should I be consuming to what kind of product should I put in my hair what kind of product should I put in my skin so it started to go the other way where we were getting a lot of traffic and more and more men looking for products to take better care of their hair their beard their skin they're at home now they've mm. got the time they you know and they wanted to invest in the right products that's great. So are the majority of your customers men buying for themselves? It's not people in their lives buying for them. Um, so if you look at our online traffic, that is men buying for themselves. That's a lot of men just making taking ownership over that. But if you look right. at our performance in Sainsbury's, for example, or any of the other retailers that we're in, that's women buying for their men, predominantly. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. It's amazing that you've got that depth of detail but yeah and, and but also what we need to be doing we always say about insight that is about that analytics, analytics yeah. is so important you are just Absolutely. the CEO that we aspire to be one day <laughs> yeah, um, yeah no, it's, no, it's no, great yeah, no, so you're in Sainsbury's where else which other um outlets are you in sorry if, it, if I'm putting you on the spot that's okay so Sainsbury's nationwide and then we're in Liberty London in store and online as well so they're they're big iconic department stores Mm. it's uh, it's beautiful in there but yes we're in there as well and then we're in Debenhams online they're now an online outlet Um, I think they've got a beauty store in Manchester and they might be opening another one and we're in ASOS so and then we're in Europe we're in ASOS EU which is a separate market that they're servicing through ASOS EU and then we're in Zalando in Europe as well which is one of the biggest e-commerce in Europe I think they're either second or first in competition to ASOS one of those two is either one or the other and then in the US we're in Saks Fifth Avenue uh, oh my God. is that recent or have we been there no we've been in Saks for about a year now okay Yes, oh that was my friend when I saw the email. Yes, that was exactly oh like, literally when I saw the email, I was like, you, 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 you're, what? <laughs> just just yeah. in America or in Sats of Avenue. I just can't what? believe that. And you made time to speak to other <laughs> please. <laughs> Can I, I mean, I digress. I just, I mean, first of all, congratulations. congratulations. That's amazing. You. Yeah. Thank you. What, I mean, you've got a wealth experience, but in terms of, What's the process or is it different each time in terms of because like meeting the buyers for these different brands, does it start with an email or a, like do you have face-to-face meetings? Are you pitching like they do in Dragon's Den every time? I don't know. I'm just I'm fascinated. Yeah. 
Um, so we've been, um, you know, I want to say the word lucky, but I don't think the word luck is what's, what, this what is should not be applied here because it's actually the result of work that we've put in. You know, uh, what is it, Oprah, that says luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And I think that's exactly what happened with us. But they reached out to us, Saks, all, all the retailers I've just mentioned, they reached out to us. It wasn't the other way around. Amazing, brother. That's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to, I, I don't know, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how, what to say. Yes, it's incredible. I, it yeah. And, and that's why I don't know if the word luck is the right word. It was lucky. We felt lucky when ASOS reached out. And then literally a month later, I think it was Saks. And I was like, what? And then less than a month later was Liberty. And it was very quickly within the space of um, four months, all these retailers had reached out. Um, to us one by one by the way you still pitch so uh, even though they reached out to you and they, they've right. seen you online they're interested you you still have to convince them that their hunches about you are correct that their assumptions about you are right um, so you still need to pitch we pitched during lockdown so it was all virtually done we'd never pitched in person we are about to launch with another retailer we're launching two more retailers this year and even with them, we've pitched online because I think it makes it easier for everybody these days. I don't think anybody's yeah. going to go back to like necessarily forcing people to come into the office to pitch. But yeah, you, you do the same thing, isn't it? You you talk about the brand. We've got a pitch deck. Like you put together a presentation. You send them samples. They always want to try out the products as well. And like with Liberty, for example, it took about four weeks or so for them to make a decision because they we sent the samples, but they wanted the samples to be tried by somebody who actually is our target market. And right. not only that, they didn't want them to just try it once. They wanted them to try it consistently for a few. Okay, yeah. Wow. Yeah, just to see, is this going to have the results that you claim it's going to have? Is it still a good product after three or four or five uses? Does the label, the product, the bottle, does it maintain its shape? All these questions they wanted answers to before they could make a decision. Okay. So you, you pitch the retailer just the same way you would if you were the one that approached them. Right. Gosh, you must have balls of steel, honestly. <laughs> Do you know what? <laughs> what, what? What makes you say that? Way. Because it's like, yes, you know your numbers. Yes, you, um, you know, know your insight and your, you know, all of the data. Yes, you know your product, your supply chain, and you probably have the most diligence over every aspect of it. The passion is obviously there as well from both you and Aaron, but you must these are people and it's big opportunities that can really change you know the, how you know not just your life but your team's lives and make yes, yes, legacy yes. you know real yes, legacy yes, and change yes, yeah? yes. so regardless of all that knowledge you're in front of people that it's nerve-wracking right no absolutely and I think the first one was nerve-wracking um mm. absolutely and I think even the second one was the nerves are, never go away I think every time you ha you're pitching for an opportunity of a lifetime um, you know, I think me and Aaron never get complacent. We mm. we always want to build bigger. We always want to smash our, most, our previous targets. So it's always an opportunity that we value the same way, regardless of whether it's the third, fourth, fifth or tenth retailer. Mm -hmm. Fast is just as important and just as valuable. So the nerves don't go away, but um, practice makes perfect to a degree. Mm. So the more pitches you do, the more you know what to expect. And I think part of the nerves is, is not knowing what's coming and right. not knowing what to prepare for and what not to prepare for. But once you've done a few of these pitches, you tend to, to know them, you know, you know, the, you know, the questions that are going to come your way, you know, how the structure is going to go. So you're more comfortable with knowing what to expect. Still nervous, but less so with each pitch that comes up. Yeah. 
And I guess if you didn't have the nerves, you wouldn't care. It wouldn't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't have You'd that. You'd be indifferent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's good that you have the nerves there. But that is amazing. What's next? I mean, you said you've got two more product launches coming up. Are you like adding more products to your range? So it's not product launches, it's retail launches. So retail launches, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So we've got coming up this year. We we did launch a new product. Our, our skincare line launched earlier this year, two months ago, actually. And, and interestingly enough, when you launch a new product, you're going through that whole process of pitching to retailers again, even if it's retailers that already stock you. Introduce a new product to the buyer, get them just as excited, get them just as interested. Because they mm. could be stocking your line and not want an extra product or not want this particular product, whatever the reason. So we've been doing that. So we launched launched our skincare in ASOS it's now in Zalando it's in Saks and hopefully one other retailer at the end of this year it's going into as well and then we are hoping to launch another product either at the end of this year or early next year incredible so you never rest and it's never kind of standing still you're always innovating thinking what's the next opportunity for the business which yes. is amazing yeah, absolutely. I think we're always working on our new product line and our new product timeline on a consistent basis, writing out ideas. I mean, the skincare launch that we've just launched in March, we've actually had those formulations ready to go for about two years now. And, and prior to that, we'd been working on them for three years. We just didn't want to launch everything at the same time. So we staggered out that process. But there are products that are constantly in formulation and development and being, Aaron is, I think if you were to see his bedroom like desk, you'd see sample size bottles of just everything where he's <laughs> trying different formulations, start trying different ingredients, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, so impressive. I love that. And just before we go to the melanin magic question, obviously you are formidable. If there was anything you could have said to your younger self to prepare you for the world of entrepreneurship, what would that be? Sorry to put you on the spot. If there was something I was able to tell my younger self, what would that be? Um, consistency is the key. It's not about how fast you go. It's mm -hmm. about how consistently you're getting there. I think it's very easy to get disheartened when you're watching someone else's journey and they seem to be getting there this fast and you're, you're working nonstop chugging away and you're not getting there half as fast as they are. Mm -hmm. But they could run out of steam. Whereas, you, if, you know, I think consistency is really what you need to focus on. Don't focus on getting there fast. Don't look at someone else. Don't look at what they're doing. Just focus on doing something consistently, nonstop, mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And eventually results will definitely come your way. And when those results come your way as a result of being that consistent, they'll start coming your way very fast. Okay, right. I love that. Oh, I'm glad about that. I've asked that question. I'm just taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Melanie Magic question. What are your hopes and dreams for Black British culture in the next five to 10 years? And do you have any insight on how we're going to get there? Ooh, you know what? I, I think what we're doing here in the UK is picking up steam. And I love to see it. I'm seeing more black UK owned British businesses. I'm seeing more black UK celebrities taking the world by storm. I'm seeing more black UK publications become center stage to how we get our news and our culture information. And I want to see that foundation that we're building now grow into 
a place where the world looks at black British culture for inspiration and not the other way around. I love that. And do you know what? I think you're right. Like you say, it is picking up speed. And again, I don't know whether lockdown, obviously, the, obviously George Floyd, etc., the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement did shine a lot of attention onto black culture and also gave a lot of people an opportunity to change the narrative, shall we say. Yeah. Where we take that moving forward, you know, where does that go? How do we propel it? And how do we consistently make sure that that narrative stays the same way as well? So, yeah, I agree. I think there is a lot of truth in what you say there. Yeah, and I think the way to get there is uh, by continuing to support our community here in the UK. And that support can look in, looks differently. It doesn't have to be spending money. It can be liking a, a post, commenting, sharing, refer referring. It can be sending a link to an article from a Black British publication. It mm -hmm. can be, and, and I think the more we continue doing that, the more we start to build a, an economic system within the community that is only growing if that makes sense I, I don't know if I'm saying what I'm trying to say correctly but yes no I, I really loved your answer and I loved in particular that you mentioned about the Black British publication because that has had a resurgence I think um you know when we read back you hear about different black owned publishing houses but there's like only kind of one like you know that's still in kind of black owned in, in the UK and in terms of like book publishers but then there are organizations like Black Ballad and, and things that are gaining yes. momentum and traction and yeah a lot of people have mentioned business and the supporting blacks and absolutely must and I think the support is really important and that support both within the community and outside it's great to see and it just needs to continue it's not a whim it's not a fad it's kind of an intention and a way of life isn't it so yeah yeah. And this is where consistency matters. It's not something yeah. that we should do today and expect results tomorrow. This is something we need to, it needs to become a, a habit innately to do that on a consistent basis. Mm. And I think eventually we'll start to see the results that we want to see. Yeah. And can I just say, Lena, it's been amazing to have, to kind of have this opportunity to speak with you and get to know you better. And I just definitely feel that your your brand is reaping the benefit of your global citizenship because I think obviously you know you, you're you're multilingual and you've not got that fear that some people might have about entering different markets perhaps because some of those markets are also home to you so you couldn't you've got a kind of a bigger kind of footprint and you just have that gives you that boldness to pursue and maybe and not stay small not stay okay we're going to be the biggest um black british men's brand in the uk you've got the whole world in your sense whereas perhaps if you had a different upbringing you might not have had that vision or be bold enough to walk in that so and so quickly as well you know you're less than 10 years old as a, a business so i just think it's amazing and like steph said i can't believe you've made time to speak to us but we're so grateful for that i know um, i love it <laughs> so how can our, our listeners get in touch with you? Because I think you're so inspiring. You know, if you've got any social media handles for you personally, also obviously for the brand as well, are you happy to share those? Yeah, so personally, you can find me on Instagram at Lena S. Barker. And the business you can find online at buyaronwallace.com. I write a lot 
as well, but that the links to my articles that I write, you can find on my Instagram bio too. So I usually write about how to get into retail and how to build indie beauty brands. And all of that can be found at, at Lena S. Barker. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. Yeah, Jay, you've done a fantastic summary because it is, it's a massive honour. I literally can't believe you spent time with us. This is incredible. <laughs> No, thank you so much. It's been a huge honour. Today, I genuinely can't wait to listen back to this because there's so many hints and tips and gems of advice. So honestly, I'm really, really grateful. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. I know our listeners will have taken a lot from today as well. So thank you to everyone listening and join us again next time. Bye.